I'd like you to open your Bibles up to the 8th chapter of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. Last week we concluded our teachings on the attributes of God and we shared with you we wanted to start into a new subject of teaching, building upon the foundation that was laid concerning the um, attributes of God. And I, I thought it was a real blessing. I just just something to share quickly. Um, you know, we spent several weeks looking at the deeper truths of the attributes of God and so forth. And I got an email earlier in the week from a brother that I had that was in one of the churches at Coshocton years ago, and he's still in contact and gets on the website once in a while and so forth and gets different teachings and. He had been discussing with an older man, a theologian, and a young Bible student, and they were discussing questions like the concept or what the Bible teaches in regard to body, soul, and spirit. What is the body? What is the soul? What is spirit? What happens to a person when they die? What is Hades? What is Sheol? And uh, I shared all those things with him, and then he emailed back afterwards because he was discussing all these things with those people. And he said, you know, he thanked me for the word and said, it's been a long time since I had heard things like that, and I was just getting a little rusty. And I thought, you know, I hope we appreciate the uh, deeper truths of the word that we heard because there are not that many people that hear it. And they are a very important part of the building and keeping strong of our faith. If you turn to Mark chapter 8, what we shared with you last week is that we want to get into a, a teaching on some teachings, practical teachings, that will help us to honor God. And in these teachings, while we'll, we'll deal with very practical issues, this morning I really want to finish what I started last week as a foundation. The next next week I'm going to be on vacation. We're taking a little trip to Boston for a week, and uh, Zach will be here. And then after that, maybe some of the, everybody will be back from settling in on repair jobs and whatnot. But in Mark chapter eight, we have the healing of a blind man. We're told in verse 22 that he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man unto him, and they besought him or begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town, and when he had spit on his eyes and made when he had made when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw anything. And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. That raises a little bit of a question. If he was a blind man, for example, from birth, how would he even know what a tree was? How would he even know what a man looked like? I mean, did he maybe see men walking and they were, he called them trees, but in reality they were men because he'd never seen a man before? Well, I don't believe that's the case. First of all, it doesn't say that he was born blind. It's very possible that he became blind after he was born. So he knew what men looked like and he knew what trees looked like. But for some reason, which we are not told, he lost his sight. But the unique thing about this passage is that when Jesus asked him the question, what do you see? And he said, I see men as trees walking. We're told in verse 25 that he put his hands again upon his eyes. So he prayed for him twice. I mean, he was not satisfied with the fact that the man was not seeing. He didn't say to him, well, you just walk it out from here on out. You're, you're seeing 50%. Use your faith further and you'll be able to see more. Just walk it out. You know, a lot of these things would be taught today and I'm not saying they're wrong, but there's something else that has to fit into our thinking here when it comes to the message of healing and faith. He put his hands on his eyes again and he made him look up and he was restored, and then we're told he saw every man clearly. He saw men as men, he saw trees as trees. 
But it's an interesting passage because basically here what was happening was a man was prayed for twice. And that's quite unique because in many of the miracles of the Bible, you don't find prayer being brought forth twice. I mean, when Jesus spoke to Lazarus, he didn't have to speak twice. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And out came Lazarus when they rolled the stone away. The man with the withered hand, when he, when Jesus, looking round about him, said to the man with the withered hand, stretch forth thine hand. It wasn't just a thumb and last finger that got stretched out and the rest was all still shriveled up. And so he spoke again and said, now stretch forth the three fingers that are not stretched. The man's, man, the man's hand was made whole. Lazarus was made whole. The man at Gate Beautiful, when Peter and John spoke to him, and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. He went leaping and walking, we're told, and praising God. And in all of the healings and miracles that took place in the New Testament, you find where they were restored, they were, they were healed, they were restored, and it was something that was instantaneous, and it was something that was com- complete in most cases. Obviously not all, because here's one that wasn't. But in most cases, that was, the, that was the way that it was. So it raises a question. Why did this occur in two stages? Why did it occur this way? And I'm sure there's a number of different reasons that could be said. For one reason, maybe the man needed deliverance here or something. And it's not specified in the Scripture that that's what has occurred. That wouldn't necessarily be wrong to say that because not every uh, gospel records the details exactly. That's why you have to read them all. But it's not specified here. It could have been stronger resistance by the powers of darkness. Sometimes Satan tries harder. And so we're expected to endure and persevere and fight the good fight of faith so forth. Someone suggested that maybe the healing of his eyes occurred as the actual physical eye, that maybe the brain needed to be healed or restored to whereby it could focus in on the using of those eyes since it hadn't been that way before. I mean, I'm sure that there's a number of different reasons. But in John 3.34, we're told, you don't necessarily have to read this, that we're told that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. And what's, what's unique and a blessing about that is that he ministered by the Holy Spirit. He did not minister by a formula of some sort, you know, to whereby this is what you do in this situation and so forth. He was, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit in every decision that he made. And obviously here, the putting a spittle upon the man's eyes was, was directed by the Holy Spirit. And then when he asked him the question, what do you see? And he said, I see men as trees walking. He then again, by the Holy Spirit, laid hands upon him again. He wasn't bound to some formula that somebody had created that said, this is the way that we do everything. The heart of Jesus was concerned about one thing, getting this man's eyes restored completely to whereby he could be healed. Jesus ministered uh, different than than a lot of people do today. They think they can they can put uh, a, a method upon everything and, and have it all down pat. That this is what you say. This is how you act. This is what you do. And that's really not the case. Let me give you one more example. Look over at eight, uh, Luke chapter eight and verse fifty five. Here's a case, for example, where maybe Jesus could have prayed twice, but he didn't. This is the uh, Seraphonician, I'm sorry, not the Seraphonician woman, but the um, centurion's daughter that needed to be healed. And in Luke chapter 8, we're told that he came to Jesus and asked that the word be spoken. And I didn't look, I usually don't use this account, but over in um, the woman with the issue of blood is touched. And then we're told in verse 49. While he yet spoke, there came one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not thy master. And i got to back up a little bit. You remember the story here. The ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus, requesting that he would come and lay hands upon his daughter. And while he was going, the woman with the issue of blood 
touched him, and he stopped and said, who's touched me? And there was a delay there. So while during that delay, the people come from the daughters, from the uh, ruler of the synagogue's house, and they say, don't bother the master, your daughter is already dead. And when Jesus heard it, he said, verse 50, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in except Peter and James and John, the father and the mother of the maiden. And they all wept and wailed. And he said, Weep not, she's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. (coughs) And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. Now look what he did. He He didn't want to make a public display of it. The doubters and the people that were being negative and the people that were being cynical, he put them out of the room. I mean, if you're going to believe God for a healing, you don't want to have to listen to the doubts and skepticism of people around you. Put them out. Be by yourself. As your faith is, so be it. But why add to the uh, the necessity of resisting those doubts when you can simply say to the people that are putting up that kind of resistance, I'd appreciate it if you just would please go to another room. And that's basically what he did. They laughed him to scorn, knowing she was dead. He put him out and he said to the girl, Maid, arise, and her spirit came again. And she rose straightway and commanded to give her meat. The spirit came back into her body. The spirit is the life principle from God. That's what I was explaining to that brother the other day. And so her spirit came back into her. And she was brought back to life. And yet, look what he said at the last part of that verse. He commanded to give her meat. Obviously, she was not 100% strong. I mean, he could have said, let's pray for her again because I can see that she's still weak and she still is not real, real strong. So let's pray that strength will come to her. Let's pray that weakness will be removed. No, here he said, now I want you to feed her. I mean, obviously she's not 100% or he wouldn't have said that. But you see, he ministered by the Spirit. That's the point. And the other point is that in both of these situations and in all of them, what he wanted to see was a complete and total restoration and healing. That's there. And, And it just shows us the heart of our Lord that... He wants to do a complete and total work in our life when it comes to healing or really when it comes to any other area, any other area of our life. The Bible says that blindness is a curse. In Mark thirteen sixteen, if we were to go over there, this is where, and we shared with you this last week, that the religious leaders, he said to them that they were blind when it came to the, to the, uh, things of truth, and it was a judgment that was placed upon them. It was talking about the parable of the sower. And he made this statement, he said, I speak unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, hearing they hear not, and neither do they understand. I mean, he shared with them the parable of the sower, and he spoke in in riddles. And they asked Jesus the question, why now don't you speak plainly, instead of talking about seed being sown by a sower on thorny ground and hard ground and this ground and the other and what's the ground and what's the seed and so forth. He said, because I'm speaking to these people in riddles because seeing they see not, hearing they hear not. In other words, what he said was, they really don't want to listen to me anyways. And because they don't want to listen and they don't want to see what I'm saying, then I'm going to even make it more difficult for them to understand because they don't want it. But then he went on to say, Blessed are your eyes, and blessed are your ears, verse 16, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Blindness in the Bible is a curse. And so we can use that analogy of the man being healed and not focus in on its intended purpose for being in the Bible, which was to give us a demonstration of a great healing miracle. But we can also use it as an analogy to build upon because the man was blind, and the man's blindness, was he was delivered from it, and that he was restored complete and whole. And I think we can use that as an analogy, as long as I call it that, that's what it is, to lay a foundation to whereby we can build upon that 
raising the question, what do we need to do to honor God? The Bible says that that it's God's grace that opens our eyes to the need of salvation. There's a call that goes out. There's one call. Now listen to me because this is where I get questions a lot of times. There's one call that goes out to everybody in the world. And that is a call to salvation. It's a call to repent and believe. I'll give you a place like Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 where that call goes forth. Jesus, this was His message. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Here's His message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's a warning. It's a warning to say, my time is at hand. Repent and believe. And that's a call that goes out to to everyone in the world that hears the Christian message about Jesus Christ being crucified. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Isaiah 55 and verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, come and drink. And you come freely, and you drink freely. You come without price. The gospel's free. Matthew 11 and verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a, a calling. That's the gospel coming forth in a variety of ways, and that's what is preached to the whole world. There's one call. But in that call, there are two aspects to that one calling. There's a general call that goes out to everyone, like we've already said, but then there's an effectual call. And the effectual call is where the Holy Spirit goes with that calling, and He takes that blindness that is upon man because of the hardness of the heart, because of the depravity of their life, And the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus with that blind man, He touches their heart to whereby they hear the gospel and they desire it and they receive it and they believe it and it changes them and they become born again. The Holy Spirit does work. He draws them. He convicts them. He leads them. He gives them faith. He gives them repentance. These things are all grace. Salvation is all grace. Christianity is not a discovery that you cooperate with God about. It's a revelation that God opens up the eyes of the person to see. You didn't just one day get up and say, you know what, I think I want to be a Christian. No, it was God that drew you to the place whereby you saw the necessity to be forgiven of your sins. You saw yourself as a sinner (coughs) and desired that God would have mercy upon you. That didn't happen. You're just playing a religious Church game. I know the difference. I was raised in church. But there came a day when God took and removed that veil of arrogance and pride off my eyes to see that all that Methodist, Lutheran, good works that I had been involved in was nothing more than a big pile of dung, as Paul spoke about his Hebrew background. And I threw that all away to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. This calling takes the same calling, the same words, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit goes with the word and makes it effectual by removing the blindness and the hardness of the heart for hearing and opens the eyes and opens the ears and they become blessed because they see and hear what the gospel says. Over in the book of First Peter chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it to you. This is what election by grace is all about. We're told in verse 2 of 1 Peter 1, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Now we've taught on predestination and election before. I'm not going to get into it this morning. but, But we have been called that verse 2, if you look at it, mine's got a little mark beside it for original interpretation. And what does it say beside elect? Do you all have that little mark there beside it in your Bible? Do you have it, Dolan? Well, look at it and tell me. 
Don't don't shrug your shoulders. First Peter one and verse two. Did you even turn there? Oh, I told you not to. I'm sorry. Turn to First Peter chapter one. Nate, do you have it in yours? All right. Back up. Turn to First Peter chapter one, verse two. I don't want you to sleep on me this morning. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Do you all see that? Raise your hand. Do you all see that? All right. Do you have a little mark beside it? Huh? All right. What does it say when then with the R? What's it, what does it say? Well, that's a reference. Reference to what? Well, that's giving you scriptural references. Does anybody have down at the bottom of their verse 2 where it refers back to it and it says called? Hey, the Manguses do. I'll bet you got Nelson Bibles, don't you? That's it. That's it. These guys are buying Walmart Bibles on us, see? Anyways. <laughs> All right. All right. Anyways, just trying to have a little fun with you. That's the calling. It's an elect calling. It's an effectual, special calling. And that's what he's saying here. An effectual calling according to, one, the foreknowledge of God. He didn't wait for us to say, Lord, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. We were chosen from the foundation of the world. We were elect from the foundation of the world. But he says we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification we know what that word is. Remember, we had some theology all summer. What does that mean? Sanctification. What does sanctification mean, Dolan? Pick on my eldest today. What does that word mean? Nathaniel, what does it mean? Jim, what does it mean? No, 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 no. Don't turn away, Jim. Come on, you know what it means. Dave. Bill. Set apart. Preacher's wife gets it. Okay. It means to be set apart. It means the Holy Spirit took us, set us apart, called us, drew us, opened our eyes. Come on, I'm making a point. You didn't just get up one day and say, Oh man, I feel like I want to be a Christian today. It's all God. It's all God. And when He opened up our eyes, that is the working that the Holy Spirit did. There's two kinds of calls. It's one call, but two aspects. Matthew 22:14 says, Many are called, few are chosen. And it's the chosen, the elect, the ones that have their eyes opened, that receive of that effectual call. And what happens is the Holy Spirit draws, convicts, leads, gives faith, gives repentance, if you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, it speaks about this, that we have received a holy calling. And that holy calling, that's the question that I want to raise this morning and, and, and answer. 2, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, while well, Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, <coughs> who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It all it all fits in there, and he says, "What we've been called with a holy calling. What does holy mean? Remember, we taught on the holiness of God. What does that mean? To be separate, to be different. We have a calling to be separate, to be different, and that is to be different from the world around us. Salvation starts at regeneration. Romans ten nine and ten: With the heart man believeth on righteousness." With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What what transpires is that we are regenerated. We are born again. John three. He speaks there about the the need 
to be born again. That we are, when we are born again, we are saved. That means that our, we were condemned to death, but we have been saved from that. We've been forgiven. We've been justified. Titus 3.7, we have everlasting comfort. But what for? That's all, that all transpires. That to me is like that man that gets his eyes open in the first prayer and says, I see men as trees walking. It was a new world to him. I mean, his eyes were opened up and it doesn't say how long he'd been blind, but maybe it had been for 10, 15, 20 years or more. Maybe it was all his life. Somehow he knew what a tree was a tree, a man was a man. I mean, you can, if you were blind, you could tell by feeling it in a way, couldn't you? I mean, I don't feel like a tree. We could probably find some skinny one out here that maybe would be, but <laughs> this would be a... Anyways, yeah, we won't go any further than that. But anyways, he knew the difference. And so Jesus was, when he prayed for him, he, he didn't say, well, that's good enough. Man, you can see better than you used to. I mean, now at least you can walk around and uh, not bang into things because you'll see when objects are in front of you. I mean, that's better than you had it before, right? No, he wanted it complete. God is not satisfied with us just getting born again, our sins forgiven, having eternal everlasting comfort and on and on and on. All that is a great blessing. But the purpose of salvation is to what? Grow up and mature in Christ. To walk in the fullness of God. We have a calling. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 10 says, Make your calling and election sure. How? By adding to your life. Let's turn over there real quickly. By taking your Christian life and what love you have, what joy you have, what peace you have, adding to that to where it becomes stronger, it becomes more complete. It becomes greater in knowledge. I mean, it's one thing to forgive somebody because they banged into the back of your car. And so you forgive them. You don't hold it over them. But it's another thing to forgive that person that takes and breaks into your house and steals and robs and to forgive that person of the debt. It's a lot harder than just maybe a simple little auto accident. Or to forgive someone, well, I'll get into those things later. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, verse 5, Give all diligence to add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, Temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly love, brotherly love, love. And if these things are in you and abound, they will make you so that you're neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things, if you are lacking in growth of knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly love, love, etc., if you're not growing in those things, if you're not adding to those things and maturing in those things, verse 9 says, He that lacks these things is blind. Our eyes still haven't been opened. We've heard a calling, but it's not effectual. It's not changing our life. He that lacks these things is blind and cannot see very far off. He's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You see what I'm saying? It's one thing to be purged from our sins. It's one thing to have our eyes open and see men as trees walking. But Jesus didn't stop there. My analogy's right on. Even though I'm using a healing miracle. He didn't stop there. He said, He prayed for him again. And He said, Now what do you see? And He said, I see men as men. God wants us to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that He can lead us and guide us and direct us and go beyond just the basics of salvation so we can grow up and mature in Christ. 
And then he goes on, he says, verse 10, Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. How? He just told us. By continually growing and maturing in the Christian faith, and an entrance will be ministered unto us under that everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then we can do as we sang this morning. We can dance on those streets that are golden with every tongue and person from all the world around us. What a joyous, precious time that will be. God has told us that we are to mature and grow and walk in the Lord. And that it's a good analogy. I mentioned this last week, but I won't belabor the point. But it's a good analogy of, the, of what some refer to as the second work of grace, which is the receiving of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why that He has come is so that He can do that complete and total work in our life. Well, Jesus was making sure that the deliverance was complete. In one sense, in a legal sense, Colossians 2.10 says we are complete in Him. But from another side, if you look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, salvation really ought to be looked upon when, when, when you... When you go to an altar, if that's what you did, you don't have to go to an altar to get saved. But when you receive Christ as your Savior, that's the beginning of a lifetime walk and commitment of making Jesus the Lord of your life. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12 says, it speaks along these lines, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. God wants us to be total and complete in all things. And in order to do that, we have to have a goal. What is your goal? As a Christian, what is your goal? Should I go around the room and ask the question, what is your goal? What, what is your goal as a Christian, Nate? To serve God. That's a good answer. That's right. To serve God in some things or everything. In everything. And it's not always easy, is it? No. But that's our goal. We lower the standard so we can achieve to a goal, then we haven't accomplished anything. We've got to set the goal up as the highest possible standard. And if we do that, then we have something to strive for. Proverbs 19.18 says, Where no vision is, the people perish. You have to have a vision. You have to have a goal. No goal is like, well, playing golf without a hole. Where do you put the ball? No goal is like playing football with no goal posts. How do you know when you got a touchdown? It's like trying to play tennis with no net. How do you know when it's over the other side? Or whether you got it over? Having no goals like going out fishing with no bait. I mean, what are you trying to accomplish? Just put a rusty hook in the water? You say, no, my goal is to catch a walleye. Well, then you've got to put a an airy-deary on that thing and <laughs> wiggle it around a little bit. No goals like getting on a train having no destination to go to. I've been planning our route for Boston, and we're going to ride an Amtrak train for, I don't know, maybe 40 miles, and it'll come to a place called South Station. We get out, and then we go to a subway, and, and this is just one of the days, and we're going to walk a trail that's painted down the streets of Boston in a red line. They call it the Freedom Trail. But if I didn't have a goal, we could ride on that train forever. We could ride on that train forever through the streets of Boston. We'd be the people that never return. Remember that old song? Oh, come on. you got to remember that. At least some of you guys from the 60s. Yeah, Dolan remembers it, and you're not even that old. Anyways, <laughs> I'm trying to have some fun with you this morning. That goal for us as a Christian is Ephesians chapter 3. And verse 19, if you'd look over there. Here's the goal for us as a Christian. Ephesians chapter 3.19 is a prayer that Paul is praying for us. 
And he says in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would give unto you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ would be able to dwell in our hearts by faith, and that being rooted and grounded in love, we would be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And the fullness of God is that growth into maturity and into perfection. It's having a vision of what God expects from us. And the book in the Old Testament, God warned that there were false prophets around, that they gave a false vision. And those false prophets are still around today. Look at Jeremiah 14 and verse 14. It's amazing that men will follow men that have a false vision because really they have itching ears. They're hearing what they want to hear. I saw a man the other night. There was a television program. And they were interviewing a man that was from uh, one of the South American countries. I think it was Puerto Rico, which is an island, of course. But He calls himself the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says that he's the second coming of Jesus Christ. You probably saw it, didn't you? And there are millions following this guy. And he has his followers get tattooed with a 666. And he himself wears jackets and clothing with 666 on them. He doesn't call himself the Antichrist. He calls himself the second coming of Christ. He says Jesus, the first coming Jesus was a carpenter and the second coming Jesus was a drug addict that got out of prison. And they follow him and they call him God. And his message is there's no such thing as sin. So the question was asked by the television announcer or the television man that was interviewing him. They did a whole program on it for about an hour. And they asked him the question. They said, well, there's no sin do you mean then that I could go on out and kill someone and it would be alright? And he'd say, no, that's a crime. Crimes are wrong, but it's not a sin. And basically what he was teaching was that we were under grace and that we could live pretty much any way that we wanted. He had women following him around and he was just, you know, drinking and smoking and crowsing in the bars and whooping it up. And, and, and it was amazing because... There are just huge crowds and millions of people around the world that are flocking to this guy and calling him God. Now, I'm not saying he's the Antichrist, but he calls himself the second coming of Christ. But the point is, he's got a vision. He's got a goal that, you know, he's directing people to heaven as well, but not by following the Word of God, the Bible, but following the Word of Him. I forget what his name is. But Jeremiah 14, it is a false vision. Proverbs chapter 19 says, where no vision is, the people fail. I mean, when you're out playing golf, you've got to look down and look for what? The flag. You've got to see the flag. Otherwise, you don't know where to point the club. If there's no vision in your life as a Christian, you don't know what way to direct your life. Proverbs chapter 19, that's what it says. Well, here in Jeremiah 14, he says, The Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not. Neither have I commanded them, neither spoke I unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision. And there are several verses I wrote down here. Ezekiel chapter 13, 16. Jeremiah 23, 16. They all say the same thing. The false prophet doesn't have a message. He has a message. But it's a false message. And it's a false vision. Because it tells people, you've already made it. You're already in the kingdom. You don't have to worry about how you live from here on out. 
or it points people in a direction to whereby they're not fulfilling the vision, the goal that God set up. What is the vision and the goal that God has set up for us? Well, let me just mention it, and I'm going to close. It's Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33. That's what we're going to build upon. But I'd like you to look over to Luke 15.8 for just a little bit before I close. In Luke 15, for us to attain unto this vision, this goal, we have to seek it. You have to go after it. You know, the man that was blind, they besought him that Jesus would pray for him and he'd receive his healing, and he did. But after he didn't get that full manifestation, what that illustration says is that Jesus was there ready to give that man the complete healing if he wanted it. He'll give us as much as we want of himself. He'll take us to maturity as far as we want to go. But if we don't want to go any further in our Christian life, if we want to get lukewarm and complacent, we want to slow down, we want to start compromising, then we'll only hurt ourselves with future rewards and blessings. The kingdom of God is to be sought. Grace led us to it, and grace takes us through it. But my Bible says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You got a hunger, you got a thirst, you got to seek. There's an illustration of seeking over in Luke 15 and verse 8. Have you ever lost anything? Here's a woman that did. It says in verse 8, What woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Now there's different analogies that can be brought about there with this this parable. But have you ever lost anything? Have you ever lost a set of keys? You ever lost your wallet? You ever lost your glasses? Have you ever lost your watch? Can you not find it and just say, oh, well, just a watch. (laughs) Just a wallet. Just keys. And just go to sleep. Now, I can because I, I'm going to be honest here. I don't let myself get frustrated. I lay down and I say, Lord, show me where those keys are, please. Lord, please show me where that watch is. I, sometimes I'll put out a reward in the household. Anyone finds my watch, you get a reward. But so far, they've never been able to collect because the Lord always directs me to my watch. Now, you guys laugh at that. Let me tell you a little story one time. You guys laugh. You think, uh, you know, that doesn't happen. Many, many years ago, when this church got started, I gave, I was had the elders of the church put out a piece of paper, and we sent it out to the state. And with it, I got two things. I got the uh, my license to marry, which I've used several times, and I also got exemption on Social Security, so I didn't have to pay Social Security tax on anything coming in from the ministry. Now, anything non-ministry, of course, I had to pay for. But several years ago, I got audited by the IRS because I always wrote down there tax-exempt on my uh, taxes, because I filed taxes on the offerings. And I wrote down there that I was tax exempt. And when I got audited, they said, show us that piece of paper. I mean, it wasn't in the computer era days. It was like 1976 or 77. Show us that paper that says you were approved for that exemption. And by that time, we had moved from Jerry City and moved on over to the house where we're at. And this little piece of paper It was only about yay big. That's it. Now, (laughs) needless to say, we started when we moved, we started going through everything and we could not find it no matter what. And if I couldn't find it, I had to pay Social Security taxes 
as a self-employed business for several years back. That had been mucho thousand dollars. And I laid in bed and we, we prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, show us where that's at. We were laying in bed one night and the Holy Spirit said to me, it's in a box in the barn. And I went out to the barn and I found this metal box and I opened it up and there was that paper. <laughs> and then the next day, my wife took that paper and put it in the safety deposit box of the bank after I made about 50 copies of it. Sent IRS, I don't know how many more, said, here, nah, 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 nah. there it is. And they've never bothered me about it since. But there was a period of time there where we were frantically seeking, ripping everything apart, trying to find that paper. This woman here, she's tearing her house apart trying to find that piece of silver. Why? Because it's important. She was seeking. I was seeking. If you've ever lost your keys or your wallet or your glasses or something that's really important, you know what it's like. You will keep looking and looking and looking. You're going through the drawers. You're looking under the bed. You're going through your pockets of your clothing. You're going through the seats of your car. You're trying to remember everything that you did. But you're seeking. So when the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, it doesn't mean that you take a little Christianity when it's convenient. That when it's convenient, you learn a little bit. That you just kind of do it at your own laid back, easy pace if it's not going to be too bothersome. Seek first the number one top priority, most important thing in your life. Are you listening to me? It's got to be the number one most important thing in your life is to seek the kingdom of God. And seeking the kingdom of God, what does that mean? It means you you seek to find out what does God expect me to do in every situation of my life. Lamentations 3 and verse 25 says, God will bless them that seek after Him. If you seek Him, if you seek His kingdom, if you hunger and thirst, He will bless you. Let me give you a couple quick things that we ought to be seeking in our life and then then when we get back, we'll build on it. Here's one that's very significant. The song that we sing. Micah 6.8 I will show the old man what is good. See, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first, the kingdom of God, and His righteousness. What is righteousness? It's doing good. It's doing what is right. What is right? I will show the old man what is right. I will show the old man what is good. And what does he say? That we're to do justly, that we're to love mercy, and we're to walk humbly with God. It's living a life to whereby in the choices and decisions that you make, you ask yourself the question, is that statement that I just made, is it righteous, is it right, is it just, is it edifying? That decision that I just made in my business, was it right, was it ethical, was it moral? It's making the right choice and right example, right decision every time it is doing what is right, what is just, what is the right way to live. It's to love mercy, to be a merciful person, to be kind, to be forgiving. Not bitter, not resentful, not holding grudges, but remembering that you were forgiven, remembering you were not perfect, and you're going to live in a world where it's filled with unperfect people, and you're going to get stabbed in the back, and you're going to get stepped on, and you're going to get hurt, and you're going to get lied about, and it's to live a life to whereby you love to show mercy, and to be kind. Patient, forgiving, forbearing, hoping and believing all things, what love is. And it's to walk humbly with God. That means that you're going to be teachable and correctable. If somebody comes along and shares something with you out of the Word of God, you're not just going to immediately put up your eyes and bring forth that little snicker that sometimes people do, you know, that... <clears throat> When it's kind of a, a, a laughing with your mouth closed 
nostril snort. You know what I'm talking about? I work with somebody like that. And every time a suggestion is made he doesn't like, he goes, <clears throat> and you want to just say back, because <clears throat> it's just an arrogant little snort. It's not having that. It's an ad- having an added humility. Having an attitude whereby if somebody raises a question. You know, I raised a question this morning when I said Jesus prayed twice for a blind man. And when I brought that up to, to another individual who had all of his do- eyes dotted and his T's crossed on the subject of healing, you know what he said to me? Instead of saying, whoa, I need to really pray about that and see if that fits somewhere in my theology, he immediately responded back with, you just have a backdoor theology. I said, it's a Bible backdoor, isn't it? But he didn't want to receive it. He didn't want to listen. Okay. People don't want to be arrogant and critical and cynical. You know, the Bible talks about arrogance and pride Those who think there's something when they're nothing are going to find out the hard way through a lot of agony and suffering that they're not as smart as they think they are. But anyways, I will show thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, that thou would walk justly, love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. Turn to 1 John 5 and verse 1, and I promise I'll close. Just one more thing. First John 1 and verse 5. I'm sorry, First John 5 and verse 1. Seeking first the kingdom of God is seeking to follow Christ, being led by the Holy Spirit, coming into the fullness of Christ, seeking to, to imitate Him and be like Him in all of our, all of our life, in all of the moral, ethical choices and decisions that we make. This one chapter says several things, and it'll and, and I'll close with it. And it should say to you, "Wow, we got a foundation we can build a bunk because we could talk about justice, mercy, love, and there's many, many more the put offs and put ons of Colossians." But look at First John five. How do we honor God? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that has been born again, he will demonstrate and prove his love for God by what? That he will love him that is begotten of him. First commandment. If you want to honor God, the greatest way that you can do that is by loving your brother. You love your brother. Love your sister. You love your wife. You show love to men. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all things, hopes all things, believes all things. Without love, we're nothing. Without love, we're nothing. The greatest commandment of all is to love thy neighbor as thyself. So we seek the kingdom of God. When we seek to be a peacemaker, when we seek to... Show love to people. When we pursue after it like it's a lost wallet, like it's a lost set of keys, like you got to get to work and you can't drive and you're frantically running around, i got to get my keys. In our life, when we're confronted with decisions, we ought to be saying, I've got to somehow work this situation out to honor God and love my brother. That's what I'm saying. Secondly, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and when we, secondly, keep His commandments. We should be seeking to keep His commandments. And in order to keep those commandments, we have to know what those commandments are. And then once we find out what they are, we have a right attitude about them and then we seek to keep them. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. We just don't Find it, but we find it and live it. And he says his commandments are not burdensome. They're not easy, but they're not burdensome. The Bible says that we should seek to find out what the will of God is so that we can keep it. 
Whosoever is born of God, verse 4, overcomes the world. And the victory is, that overcomes the world is our faith. If you think for one minute that the world seeks after the kingdom of God, you're wrong. Romans 3 says that the world seeks not God. So if you're following the world, you're not seeking God. Your priorities are wrong. You know, I was just picked up a piece of paper today. It was laying on the couch. My wife had printed it out from something she'd read on the Internet. And it was a story, or it was just a, a quick summary of the second richest man in the world whose name was Warren Buffett. Bill Gates is the richest. This guy's number two. And as I was reading it, he was giving advice to people on things pertaining to their life and finances. And some of the things that he said, he told young people, don't get credit cards. He told, he said, I still live in the same home that I've lived in for 50 years with my wife. It's a simple, plain, three-story home. Nothing fancy. No fences. No guards. No security. I drive myself where I want to go. I have no cell phones. I have no computers. He said, I just seek to live a simple, plain life. Second richest man in the world. He owns several companies. He's a multi-billionaire. And his philosophy is that he's just seeking seeking to live a simple, plain life. What I'm saying is, as a Christian, we need to seek to simply live a simple, plain life serving Christ. If we're seeking after the world and following after the world, the world's not seeking Christ. We're to seek what he wants and not what the world wants. What does a man profit, he said, if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? It's a great temptation and snare. Verse 9, seeking the kingdom is, he says, if we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God that he testifies of his Son. He that believes on the Son has that witness in himself. There's a witness, there's a knowing, there's the Holy Spirit from within. We know when we're pleasing him. We know when he's telling us what to do. We know when when we're praying and saying, Lord, you said, James 1, you'd give us wisdom if we ask. I need wisdom. What should I do? And it doesn't take a degree in aeronautical engineering, to figure out the still, small voice of the Lord. You know what is right. And you know what He wants. And that witness from within confirms it. Verse 14, seeking first the kingdom of God, is that after we've been seeking to show love to people and walk faithful and yield, faithfully and yielded to the Holy Spirit, and that we're not pursuing after the world and its ways, but finding out what God's commandments are and keeping them, there's a greater assurance and joy and peace in our heart because we're walking and living and serving God as we should. And this gives us, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we have the petitions desired of Him. That's the faith message right there. You put the crucified life and living as a Christian first and the answer to prayer just falls right into place. I, you know, I, I, I've received, I receive answers to prayer every week. And I'm, and I'm hoping all you do in a variety of different ways. And it comes about by just, God, God knows our hearts. Am I perfect? No, I'm not perfect. But He knows that I'm striving to mature and grow and live greater and stronger every day. And if we do that, verse 17, I'm going to close. All unrighteousness is sin. There's a sin that's not unto death. But we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. He that is begotten of God, he keeps himself. He guards himself. So the wicked one touches him not. If the wicked one is touching your life, then maybe that's just an unguarded area of unrighteousness that you need to repent of 
and get right and straight. But God teaches us these things. See, He wants us to come into a completeness, into a fullness, not be satisfied with just seeing men as trees, but reaching out for that second, third, fourth, fifth, 100th touch of grace to whereby we can see trees as trees and we can see clearly to what God wants us to do. Can you all say amen? Well, we're going to build on that foundation with some very practical teachings about love and joy and mercy and forgiveness, family, finances. We'll just be directed and led by the Holy Spirit like Jesus was in the prayer of that man. Father, with this foundation laid, we ask that the Holy Spirit would use me as a vessel to point us in different areas of our life that we need to become stronger in so that we honor you and can be drawn closer into the fullness of God. That's my prayer, and I thank you for